A scrap in New Orleans leads to suspensions for the Heat and Pelicans. Doc Rivers mercilessly booed upon his return to Philadelphia yesterday. And the Celtics looking to take their game to another level, even in the midst of a nine-game winning streak? Is it time for college arenas to secure the sidelines after a Duke player gets injured in the aftermath of an upset versus Wake Forest? A homecoming for Patrick Kane, Nikita Kucherov for MVP, and the Rangers' win streak gets snapped as to what's happening on the ice. Cody Bellinger signs a three-year deal, but what about the other top free agents as the exhibition schedule is underway? And is anyone interested in the NFL Combine? The final few days of February in this leap year as I kick off a big week for the podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. JReels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the JReels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel at JReels as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J-Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J-Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rolls Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, and in excellent spirits. The countdown has begun as February is about to exit stage right, but not before I get into the first of two podcasts to close out the month as I deliver what's shaking in the sports world as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and as we get into this final week, March, I'm welcoming it with open arms, looking forward to another month, not to rush time of course people, but for the sports world as we get through just the rigors, and I get it, we got a few things to chew on, but again, this is a very low key point, the first Sports dead zone, as I like to call it. I know I've been hammering that point home over the last few weeks, but that's what it is. What more can I tell you? But I do have a few good nuggets for you. So whatever you're doing, whether you're driving in the car, on the treadmill, shopping, whatever, or maybe even if you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much for stopping by and let's get right to it. The NBA had a couple of interesting developments over the the past few days. And I'll start off with what happened in New Orleans on Friday. I know it's very rare to see that NBA brawl. And this one, although you had... Five players suspended where four of them were ejected in the game the other night. 
And for that to unfold, and the NBA has to crack down, the last thing they want to have is players that are just going to not necessarily get crazy, but when you look at what happened there Friday night to where Zion Williamson, who went up to for a basket and was fouled, and then Jimmy Butler, who was approached by Najee Marshall, and next thing you know, you got one push, one shove, and then Jimmy Butler's going after Marshall, and then you have players coming off the bench, whether your name is Jose Alvarado from New Orleans, and the other player from Miami, I believe it was Thomas Bryan off the top of my head. You also had Nikola Jovic, not Jokic, Jovic, right? There's a guy that has a similar name to the two-time MVP. But although it wasn't an ugly scene, yes, you did have a crowd of players on the court. Certainly did not look good. Could have been a situation where it may have escalated worse, but thankfully it didn't get to that point. But for the NBA, knowing that they don't want to have any part of players getting involved in a fracas or anything that's going to spill into the stands as we saw 20 years ago with the mouse at the palace. But not to say that it was anything close to that, but they cracked down where five players got suspended. Alvarado and Bryant each got three games for leaving the bench, which you can't do. Jovic, I believe, also got a game as well. And then Jimmy Butler and Marshall also got a game for instigating the whole thing. And again, it was very innocent when... You saw the video from the start. It wasn't as if there was a lot of punches thrown or pushing and shoving to the extent where, ooh, it could have gotten ugly or players tackling to the court. Nothing to that nature, thankfully. But to start off this podcast, I guess I got to talk about that because that was the news on Friday and then the suspensions came down yesterday. So that's just the NBA doing their best to try to thwart any situations where you're going to have players on the court battling it out, getting heated, and getting to a point where there could be fisticuffs. So NBA did what they had to do. And for Butler, he takes a day off, which is not a surprise when it comes to him playing what? Maybe 60% of the games, maybe a little bit more than that. I believe he's missed up until about a week or so ago, right around the All-Star break. They had about 54, 55 games played, and he's played in 37 of them. So for him to have a day off, I'm sure he's going to look at that as, hey, that's just another rest day for me, another day to recover, etc. So that's the first line of business here when it comes to the association. Then yesterday, you had Doc Rivers going to Philadelphia for the first time since he got fired as coach of the Sixers last year. And what did you see? Booze raining down upon him, especially during the introductions. And for the Bucks to go into Philadelphia to come out with a 119-98 to victory, no surprise there with no Joel Embiid. And as we all know, the Sixers have been struggling without their MVP. And who knows when he'll be back. It may be another couple of weeks before he can return to the lineup. And the Sixers are desperately needing some direction there to try to get their season back on the tracks as they're slipping in the Eastern Conference. But for Doc Rivers, I get it. This is a tough spot for him. Not only just going into Philadelphia, into that hostile territory with that crowd, and we know the fan base there is rabid. But for Rivers to go from TV with Doris Burke and Mike Breen on the ESPN ABC games to now be a part of an Eastern Conference where he has his former team, the Celtics, just running away with it in the conference and then having to blend in the likes of Giannis Antetokounmpo with Damian Lillard, especially during this first half of the season after firing the coach Adrian Griffin. So to have to navigate that and to get them on the same page, to have the chemistry right, to get themselves back in championship form the way they were three years ago, I know that's going to be a tough task, especially for a coach who, let's face it, ever since winning the NBA championship for the Celtics back in the 2008 season, 
His resume has not been stellar. Yes, has he won a bunch of regular season games? Yes, has he made a ton of playoff appearances? Absolutely. But with a lot of 3-1 series leads, spitting a bit in LA as the coach of the Clippers, and then last year, the first of three years, or the last of three years, I should say, to where his team couldn't get out of the conference semifinals and had a 3-2 series lead against his former team, the Celtics, going back to Philadelphia and unable to seal the deal to get to a conference final. And now here he is, thrust in the middle of a midseason change where he has to right the ship for his team, maybe even for his own self, to kind of shed that reputation of what he's been able to do as a head coach over the past decade plus. So a lot that's on his shoulders, but I'm sure that's one he's willing to take on as opposed to maybe sitting with Mike Breen and Doris Burke on the sidelines. But let's see what's going to happen with Milwaukee as they try to get their not necessarily season on the tracks because currently they're, what, third in the conference and just a game behind the Cavaliers for the second spot in the East. So you have that if you're a Buck fan and for the Sixers, as I mentioned, just waiting for Embiid to come back to get themselves just in winning form because the Sixers are currently, what, 33-24. and 24. They are fifth in the East. They are just a game and a half, really a half a game ahead of the Pacers And then, of course, with the Heat and Orlando behind them, and we would expect the Heat to make a run at some point, maybe not considering that 7-10 to range. We saw them last year, and I talked about this last week when I did the second half, quote-unquote, of the NBA season. But for Philadelphia, as they've been struggling without Embiid, and let's see, it's probably going to be another couple weeks before they get him back, and if they can get into winning form, that is going to be probably another couple weeks before we see him. And as far as the Celtics go, they have a nine-game winning streak coming out of the break, beating Chicago in the Windy City, excuse me, and then to have them come to New York to play the Knicks on the Saturday Showcase ABC and winning that game, what was it, 116-102. For the Celtics, as I mentioned on the podcast Thursday, you have to wonder what's going to happen the rest of this regular season. They currently have a seven-game lead in the East, seven and a half over the Cavaliers, They're going to cruise to a one seed barring just a malady and rash of injuries. And for the second year coach, Joe Mazzullo, who it's going to be squarely on him because this team, the rest of the way, you would think they're going to be entrenched in that one spot. All of the pressures that I talked about going back Thursday to where I said this team has a lot riding on this season. They've made several conference finals and even one NBA final during this, what, six, seven year stretch, but they have not been able to get to the mountaintop. And it's going to be this year, championship or bust. Just getting to a finals is not going to be enough. And how they're going to play out these last six, seven weeks is going to be interesting because I'm sure they're going to give players rest. Also, they don't want to get into that lull of having just to be bored or not be inspired. And maybe there'll be a few games on the schedule where they'll get up for and be ready. But if they're going to play down to certain opponents, the Lakers, when they came into Boston, what was it, a few weeks ago, without LeBron and AD, and we saw them lose that game. And not only that, but how that will translate, not only for the rest of this regular season, but even into the postseason. Because as I mentioned one more time, a few days ago, can I trust this Celtic team to, you would think they're going to get at least to a conference final. But to get themselves to the top of the NBA mountain and to plant their flag as the champions for the first time since that Doc Rivers-led team in 2008, 
I have to see it and then I'll believe it because even with all of their key players, whether it's Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and with Drew Holiday and guys like Kristaps Porzingis being those two key pieces to take them to the apex, but we are going to have to wait and see and witness for our own selves, not only throughout the rest of this regular season, but especially once we get to April, May, and June. And even for Al Horford, who's been a part of this team for a long time, as we know, after the game over the Knicks where they won, he even said that we still have to take this to another level. So think about it. They've won nine straight and have played well, and there's still more that needs to be worked upon when it comes to the Celtic team, who is currently 45-12. and 12. So I'm here for it. I want to see a championship. 16 years is a long time for yours truly, and especially between championships, because that was the last time I had any taste between them and even the Pittsburgh Steelers, for that matter, in that same season. So again, plenty of basketball to be played. Not to get too crazy about the Celtics here in late February, but considering what they've done, best record in the sport, the winning streak, still wanting to take their game to another level. Let's see here as they are in cruise control in the East and how they're going to play it out and if teams are going to breathe down their neck and is there going to be a run by the Bucks, or are the Cavs going to continue to play at this level? That we shall see. So that's what I have there with the NBA. A couple other things before I move on. The Hawks who are hovering there are really at the bottom of the Eastern bracket there as the 10th seed. Currently what? Three and a half games ahead of the Brooklyn Nets. They should be in good stead there. But for them not to have Trey Young for the next four weeks as he had to have surgery on his left pinky tearing a ligament. So that's going to be a huge blow for a Hawk team. Maybe the Nets will look at that as a rallying cry to try to get their team at least in that 9-10 range. I know that the Bulls have a two-game lead over the Hawks right now, but for the Hawks to not have their best player there for the next month is going to be crucial. And let's see if the Nets are going to do anything about it or if the Hawks are really going to fall back to the pack in the East to where the Nets slowly but surely creep themselves way up on the in the standings. So we got that to look forward to if you're into the 7-10 playing tournament scenario. And then Steve Kerr signed a two-year, $35 million extension. Why I bring that up is because he's now the highest paid head coach, even more so than Monty Williams, Eric Spolstra, and even Greg Popovich, who signed that big deal. But remember, Popovich is also the president of basketball operations there in San Antonio. So obviously that combines with him being the head coach. But as far as Kerr just being the guy, patrolling the sidelines there for the Warriors, two years, 35, which would be $17.5 million. He is now the highest paid coach in the sport so kudos to Kerr as they try to get themselves back on the beam I understand that they are 10th but they've been I get it they played a lot better here over the course of the last couple of weeks and for a lot of people that think that the Warriors are contenders I saw something like that on ESPN where they had that video I didn't even watch it because to me are the Warriors a contender and I don't want to hear because they won the title two years ago and now that they have Draymond back And even though he's going to be feistier than ever, but you're probably not going to see that guy that we saw earlier this season, whether it's choking Rudy Gobert or smacking Yusuf Nurkic to the court in, I think it was in Golden State, not in Phoenix. But for the Warriors, I don't think they're contenders. I don't want to hear about their track record. To me, they're almost like the Pittsburgh Penguins, even though the Penguins last Stanley Cup was what, 2017? So they're seven years removed 
from their last championship as opposed to the Golden State Warriors, which are only two years. But Clay isn't the same player as he was. Steph is Steph. Draymond, you're going to get hot and cold with him, especially when it comes to his offensive numbers are concerned. And I get it, the tenacity and the defense, etc. Blood and guts. But even with Jonathan Kaminga and other guys like that, I don't know if they're going to have a long run in them to get back to an NBA final and win. So to me, they are not a title contender. But that's what you have there. Same goes with the standings, whether it's in the East, as I talked about, or even out West. Minnesota and Oklahoma City both tied with the same record at the top of the East. The Nuggets are two games back in the loss, a game and a half back, where the Clippers, same record. Actually, they're two games in hand with the Denver Nuggets. They're currently 37-19, and where the Nuggets are 39-19. and So they're a game back, although they're tied in the loss. And then you have Sacramento, Phoenix, followed by New Orleans, Dallas. And Dallas, who had a long winning streak. They had won seven in a row before they lost there last night. And Dallas, that just goes to show you, winners of seven in a row. And where do they fall as far as the pecking order in the Western Conference? They're in the eighth slot. So even with Luka and Kyrie, they're still unable to get themselves to a point where they have gotten themselves to a good spot in the Western Conference, whether they may be fourth or fifth, uh uh-uh, they're eighth. And they did lose to the Pacers there last night, as I mentioned, after winning seven in a row. So Dallas, I don't know how much of a threat they're going to be, even with that backcourt. They probably will win around and maybe get to a conference semis after that, who knows. And then you have the Lakers and Warriors. That is your Western Conference there in a big giant nutshell, and that is your NBA. Let me move on to college, because now there is something that I would think needs to be discussed in the sport. And you know me, I'm a traditionalist. If you've listened to me before and know that I'm a guy that likes change, but even with his sports and has adapted to certain things, whether it's the MLB rule changes, which I actually liked, or other rule changes in other sports. Well, this is one I think that the NCAA really has to look at here because what you saw there Saturday night in... Wake Forest, the game against Duke, where the Demon Deacons did beat the Blue Devils there, 83-79, and you had all the players rush the court. We saw that there early in the week with LSU beating Kentucky. And I understand that that is a staple, a tradition in college basketball to where the underdog team, especially in their building, if they happen to beat a heavily favored team or even a top-ranked team like Duke is at number eight, therefore, they're going to have the fans, the students, and everybody rushed the court to celebrate. Well, what happened there Saturday night was a scenario where the center on Duke was rushed, and even he said that he was purposely ran into in a one Kyle Filipowski, and he had to be carried off with a lower leg injury. I don't know the extent. They said it could be a knee as one of the fans rushed the court, and even like I mentioned, Filipowski said that He felt that that was intentional. And now they're going to have to take a good, long, hard look at this. And I don't know if this is going to be changed within days or in the coming weeks because the college basketball season is going to end here in the middle of March. But you would have to think they're going to have to evaluate this because for Filipowski to go out, and who knows the extent of the injury or how long he's going to be on the shelf, but what's going to happen next? Another top player or key player is going to get hurt because players rushing the court? Or dare I even say, heaven forbid, one of these players gets sucker punched 
or just ran into in the lower legs where Filipowski, who knows if he's going to see the court the rest of this year. And for me, we've seen this year after year after year where these students and the fans are going to rush the court. And again, it's almost become acceptable because they're exuberant, they're excited. Oh, our team beat the top-ranked Blue Devils or the number one seed this or whatever. All right, fine. And because they're kids, it's almost as if they're getting a pass. Well, now they may have to really think about this because, like I said, if players are going to get hurt here, and even worse, who knows if you're going to have some lunatic that's going to be out there and maybe just sucker punch or worse. And I don't even want to go through the details of something that could happen even worse than what Filipowski just went through. But they may have to secure the sidelines and combat that because the last thing the NCAA needs, wants, or even the sports world is to have a player seriously injured or worse and then have a crying out or to be called out to say, why hasn't this been shut down any sooner? And I think it may be time for that. And again, this is coming from someone that has seen many courts rushed in college basketball over the years and being the old school sports fan that I am, all right, fine. But after watching that and taking a good look, and I didn't really see the entire video. I did see Filipowski getting just rushed off. Well, I don't want to say rushed off, but he got carried off by his own teammates. It may be time for them to make a change. Whether it's going to happen tomorrow, next week, or certainly before the start of the next college basketball season next year, there has to be rules implemented for these fans, students rushing the court. That's all there is to it. As far as the sport overall, you did have a big week for St. John's. I talked about Rick Pitino there last week as he threw his players overboard and under the bus, and they responded by beating Georgetown. Big whoop there, no surprise. But they ended up beating Creighton yesterday, who Creighton earlier in the week beat UConn. And that's a big win for St. John's if they're trying to hang their hat on maybe being a team to sneak into the tournament. That's going to bode well, but they're going to have to do a lot more than just beat Creighton. So... That's a good start for St. John's. Creighton ranked 15th in the country. Who knows what that's going to mean as far as them. They're going to make it to the tournament. But as we all know, once we get to the Big East tournament and see how that shakes down, I think Creighton's going to be fine. But that is a little bit alarming considering when you take a look at what happened earlier in the week where UConn blitz Marquette and then Creighton then plays UConn beats them, so you wonder if there was a little bit of a letdown there by UConn, and then the letdown disease then spread to Creighton because then they lose at St. John's. So for Patino and company, that was a big win. I'm sure it's going to go a long way if they continue to play well as far as them trying to get into the tournament. Still may be a bit of a long shot, but we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. And as far as the sport overall, as I take a look, Rankings, I think, would be the same. I know with UConn losing, they're still going to be ranked number one when it's all said and done. Houston does move up. Leapfrogs over Purdue, who lost, as we talked about last week, to Ohio State. And then you have Arizona, Tennessee for your top five, and then follow that by Iowa State, Marquette, Duke, who may go down a little bit. I know they were ranked eighth, and I believe the latest rankings will come out later, but this is what I have as of right this moment, recording it here on Monday morning. Followed by Kansas, North Carolina are your top 10. Baylor is 11th. They lost to Houston there, I believe, yesterday. So they may slip in the rankings a little bit as well. That is your top 10. That is your college basketball at this present moment. 
Nothing else to really address or discuss there. But I did have to bring up the whole scenario with the just the rushing of the court by the fans and the student faculty because, yes, something has to be done, as I mentioned. So now let me pivot. Let me put on my ice skates, get my stick, and take a trip around the ice to see what's happening in the NHL. And you have a few nuggets there with the first one being, I'll go through Patrick Kane. I'll talk about the Rangers that had their 10-game winning streak snapped in a little bit. But for the NHL, you had a homecoming last night or yesterday afternoon in the Windy City where you had Patrick Kane in his first visit into Chicago. Of course, the longtime Blackhawks, 16 years, three Stanley Cups, an MVP, etc. To where Kane got a 90-minute standing ovation. Something I haven't seen in quite some time. And I'm sure they had a video tribute. This was, I believe, before the game. So this wasn't during a stoppage or anything like that. Or it may have been. I have to double check that because all I did was I did see the video. It looked like it was before the game. Who knows? It may have been during a stoppage after a video tribute. So I'd have to double check that. If I'm wrong that it wasn't during the pregame, my apologies. But there was a long ovation. Cheers everywhere. Cell phones. And listen, Kane was a guy that was a winner. Everything that I stated as far as his tenure there in Chicago as a Blackhawk, winning all those Stanley Cups, actually won the first Stanley Cup in 2010, the overtime winner in Philadelphia in Game 6. So to think he was the guy that brought them their first cup dating back to, I believe, 19... I should know this. I want to say 61, because I believe it was almost 40 years from their last cup. So for him to be the guy to clinch... Their first Stanley Cup in four decades. I'm sure that's going to just warm the hearts of the Blackhawk fan upon his return there yesterday. And then what did he do in the process? 2-2 in the overtime. Patrick Kane, breakaway, top shelf. And the Red Wings win 3-2. And there was still a bunch of cheers. Maybe had a lot of Red Wing fans make the trip to Chicago to cheer on not only their Red Wing faithful, but also Patrick Kane in the process. But there were a lot of cheers at the end of the game, and for Kane, I'm sure that had to be just a an overwhelming feeling, not only to just to come back home to get that reception, and on top of that, to get the game winner. You couldn't ask for a better homecoming, or even couldn't write a better script than that for the one-time Blackhawks, so I'm sure that was one that he'll for, forever remember throughout his hockey life and his hockey career, and especially years Gone when he's retired. He'll certainly look back on yesterday as a day that I'm sure he'll never forget. So that's where I'm going to start off there with the NHL. And the Red Wings, of course, they're a team that are trying to find their way in the East. I talked about this even months ago when he signed with the Red Wings and how he could be a force in that locker room with all the experience, that championship medal, DNA, etc. And the Red Wings, currently fourth in the division, I'm sure they're a fringe. Maybe they're in the wild card as of right to second. And for most teams, I did say that once the schedule gets to 60 games, and by Thursday's podcast, I'll certainly get into the wild card. Or maybe I'll get into it now since a lot of teams are at 59, 58. But for the Red Wings, who are currently first in the wild card spot, Tampa has the second one as of right this moment. So for the Red Wings, they're in good stead. They have not only just a one-point lead, but the Devils, who are behind the Lightning, seven points behind them, and I'll talk about the Lightning in a second. So having Kane there, and of course them bringing in Alex DeBrincat via free agency, I believe that was a trade with Ottawa. 
So the Red Wings, let's see if they could get a nice little push here to get themselves entrenched in the Eastern Conference and see if they could maybe even make a run in the postseason because they have not been a team in quite some time that has made any noise or even been in the postseason for that matter. So we'll certainly take a look at that as we move on throughout the course of the season. Then you have the Lightning who were in town the last couple of days against the Islanders who they beat 4-2 and then yesterday 5-1 in New Jersey. So a little local two-game sweep for the Lightning to where Nikita Kucherov has now put himself in position for the like of an MVP with Austin Matthews. You want to throw in Connor McDavid as well. Maybe even Nathan McKinnon for that matter. But Nikita Kucherov who is now reached a 100-point plateau, actually has 102 points with his performance yesterday, had a goal and three assists. And Kucherov, who has been a lethal scorer, and to do it, I believe in, what, 59 games? To do it this soon puts him up in great company with Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, etc. And Kucherov, who's having that type of year, and as I mentioned, with Tampa currently second in the wildcard chase in the East, And although right now they have a comfortable 7-point lead after beating the Devils there yesterday, who knows? This Lightning team can't be compared to the Stanley Cup teams of just a couple of years ago. But we know about their pedigree. We know about their championship toughness, etc. And would they be a team that I'd want to play come April, May, or June? Probably not. And as it looks like right now, we won't have to worry about a Tampa-Toronto first round as we saw the last couple of years. But Toronto, as of right this second, looks like they may play the Panthers when it's all said and done because they're currently in second place, just a point behind the Bruins or in first place in the Atlantic Division. And as I move to the Metropolitan, the Rangers had a 10-game winning streak snapped in Columbus yesterday to where they have their tough guy, Matt Rempe, and I got to bring him up. You know me with the tough guys. He's been in the NHL for a week and he's already had three fights. And he's had more penalty minutes, I believe, to start off his career, other than two people, Ty Domi and another player, I believe, going back to the 40s and 50s. And for Rempe, 6'7", with that long reach, I talked about it last week after the Island Ranger game, the outdoor classic that we saw and witnessed, and I was there to see the Islanders implode in the final few minutes, but get his first fight with Matt Martin. Then on Saturday, he fought Nicholas Delorier. I said Eric the other day, so my apologies there. Nicholas Delorier in Philadelphia where it seems to be, I don't want to say a growing trend because this goes back to the 70s to where you saw Delorier chopping it up with Rempe there during the pregame warm-up, side-by-side there right at the red line and then just a couple of minutes into the game you had Delorier going at it with Rempe where Rempe got the victory there and then yesterday, two minutes in, which I love, I love those fights two minutes into the game, it's their first shift for each player. He fights Matthew Olivier, and Olivier got some good shots and actually beat Rempe for the first time in his three professional fights. So Rempe got a little bit of a comeuppance, and listen, he's a big guy, as I mentioned, 6'7", with that reach. If you haven't seen him, number 73 on the Rangers, infusing a little life for the fight fan in me, because Lord knows, as I've said time after time after time, for weeks on end, months on end, and years on end, the sport is a carcass of his old self, and to have a tough guy like Rempe come in there and not only make his mark, but also add a little life to the sport. Let's face it. I said this a couple of weeks ago, bring back the tough guy. Because remember, that cross-check there with Morgan Riley 
on the Ottawa center player, was it Ridley Gregg, where he scored that empty net goal and he shouldn't have done it the way he did by taking a slap shot from point blank two feet in. But for then to have Morgan Riley just cross-check him in the face, which started the melee, which amounted to nothing. But when you have resident tough guys like Rempe or Delorier or guys like that, it's going to not only make the sport a lot more exciting, but even anticipating. Because when you know about the one tough guy in the Rangers who's now, I'm not going to say he's taking the sport by storm. I won't go as far as that. But because you have this young kid, 21 years old, trying to make a mark amongst the other tough players in the league, of course, that brings some, not only just excitement, but it brings some anticipation where this kid comes into that city to say, oh wait, who's my tough guy? Oh, let's see them go at it. That's a good thing. I get it. They don't want to poo-poo about fighting and oh, we want to curtail it and Gary Bettman, etc. But uh, it adds a little life to the sport. So for Rempe to do what he's done and I applaud him and I hate the Rangers, ugh, beyond belief. But for Rempe in his first week as a player in the National Hockey League, he's piqued some interest. And it makes me look forward to saying, oh, all right, what's going on here? And he even elbowed a devil player there in New Jersey. What was it? I believe on Thursday. So that, I know, caused a little bit of a storm, so to speak, amongst the devil fans, etc. But again, the guy pumped some life into a sport that has, let's face it, little to zero toughness. And hockey players are tough. I get it. They are. They're the toughest guys on planet Earth. And I'm not talking from a fisticuff physical standpoint. Play injured, stitches, broken jaws, etc. But to have that intimidation factor or to have that presence of at least one resident tough guy on each team adds an element to a sport that, just like I said a little while ago, is a carcass shell of its old self. And I wish they would bring that back in some way, shape, or form. So I'll get off my soapbox there and continue on. And even in the game yesterday, I got to give him some props dating back to those days. Although he wasn't really a, definitely a tough guy as far as being a defenseman. Played what, 26 years in the National Hockey League? Chris Chelios wasn't a fighter, didn't mix it up from time to time, but definitely not a top flight tough guy in the least. Ben Wilson, he was not. But for Chelios to get his number retired, number seven in Chicago, we know he's a native Chicagoan. And maybe this was... A long time coming, only because we know about his days in Montreal, and then later on he played for the Red Wings, of course. But for Chelios, who played on that 92 Stanley Cup team and was there for a decade, to have his number retired here in 2024 was actually pretty surprising. 25 years after he donned the uniform, which a lot of people think is the best uniform in sports, or in hockey, I should say. So for Chelios to finally get his due in his hometown and... To have his number raised to the rafters, congratulations to him. The guy was a warrior, and I get it, he was a bit of a pest, but you're going to play that long, and we could talk about being a compiler, I believe, I don't know how many Norris trophies he won, but he was a dominant player, especially during his days in Montreal and Chicago to start off his career, and kudos to him, long overdue, and I don't know why the Blackhawks took forever and a day to retire his number, but they did so, so kudos to Chelios. For having that distinction and that honor there in Chicago. Uh, Other than that, let's see what I got here. NHL, pretty much the same. You're going to have these races that are going to be tight from here on out. 
Out West, well, let me finish with the Metropolitan. We talked about the Rangers there. Carolina, seven points behind the Rangers. Philly, seven points behind Carolina. So the Rangers, barring an epic collapse, they're going to be in good shape there. In the Metropolitan, they're currently tied with the Bruins for the top spot in the East. Then you have the Western Conference, Dallas, Winnipeg, Colorado, all separated by three points. Winnipeg, one point behind Dallas for the top spot in the Central And in the Pacific, as we talked about, Vancouver, who have the most points in the sport, 82, 11 points ahead of Vegas, and then 14 points ahead of Edmonton, excuse me, who Edmonton, after that long streak, have now lost three in a row. So after them digging themselves out of that big hole with an eight-game winning streak earlier this year, and then that 16-gamer now have come back down to earth a little bit, but they are fine. And then your two wildcard spots out in the West, are Nashville with the number two and LA, the Kings number one, separated by two points. LA 68, Nashville 66, and then you have St. Louis 62, tied with Minnesota 62, and then Calgary 61, and that pretty much rounds out. Even Seattle, and I mentioned that they were going to have a down year, and Thursday, I know this has been a long time coming for those who are interested or have followed me for quite some time. I haven't gotten into my NBA over-under numbers or NHL over-under numbers that will be brought up on Thursday. I think I picked Seattle as a team that's down. And you know what? I could bring up the NHL ones now. I believe I have them on my phone. So for the... And I should have the NBA on my phone for that matter. But for the NHL, I believe I picked them to be one of those teams that were going to be a disappointment considering that Seattle had a very good year last year and they were able to... Make it to a conference final. They actually beat Colorado on the way to the defending Stanley Cup champ at the time. But for, and of course, as I'm looking through this, I don't want to take forever in a day to pull this up. Oh, here we go. NHL over-unders. In fact, I did not pick them as an under. I did pick them as a disappointment if you go back to the NHL preview. If you like, please be my guest. It's in the archives. But here are my over-unders. Let's have some fun with this real quick before I move on. My overs, Detroit, as I picked, because, and this is before Patrick Kane, 86 and a half. Right now, they're at 70. I think they're going to surpass that. They should be fine. Ottawa, 91 and a half, and they've been a major disappointment. Even with the Brinkhead out, I thought that they would have a good year, and currently, they're at 53 points. That is a big L I'm going to take there, so that's terrible on my part. And this one, I just had some hope, maybe for Connor Bedard. These are my overs, people. So Detroit, I think I should be fine, 86.5. Ottawa, 91.5. Eh. Another over, Rangers, 100.5. That's a lock. That You could just put that to rest. And then I picked the Blackhawks only because with Connor Bedard and maybe that shot of having the number one overall pick as they move away from the Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze era. And as we know, the Blackhawks are at the bottom of the Western Conference at 35 points. So look, they're not even halfway to that 71.5. So that's just a terrible job right there. I'm two and two. And then my two unders, they're going to be dicey. Actually, one I think is going to be fine. Pittsburgh, 98 and a half. I didn't think that they had a team that was going to be anywhere close to that. And remember, they missed the playoffs last year. And the Penguins currently are at 60 points. Unless they have a huge run in front of them, I think I should be safe there. And then Tampa was another one, 96 and a half. And they're currently at 69. That's going to be close. So right now, I am looking at 3-3 three and three minimum, maybe 4-2. and two. Because Detroit, Rangers, Pittsburgh should be fine. Those are three wins. 
Ottawa, Chicago, forget about it. And Tampa could be the wild card on whether or not I'm over 500. From that point of view, nothing to write home about. I'll get to my NBA ones on Thursday's podcast, so stay tuned for that. Now let me move on to a couple other things before I bid adieu. I'm going to get to the baseball, and with that, you had a signing of one of the top free agents, and no, not Tim Anderson, who signed a one-year deal in Miami for $5 million to be, I believe, the shortstop there for the upcoming year, and no, not Mitch Keller, kudos to the Pirates, their starting pitcher, They signed him to a five-year, $77 million deal. So good for the Pirates to kind of keep him in the fold as they try to keep their young core. And I believe they had another big signing last year. I believe Brian Reynolds did stay, but also Cabrian Hayes, the son of Charlie Hayes, the former third baseman there, most notably known for the Yankees, making the last out in the 96 World Series. But Cody Bellinger, who has been on ice since the last out was made in the World Series going back to, what was it, early November. But for Bellinger to sign and stay in Chicago as a member of the Cubs, three years, $80 million. All right, not maybe the jackpot that he was hoping for after his big year in the Windy City last year. But for Bellinger, he resigned. So now the big question is, what about the other big three free agents that are out there? Most notably, Matt Chapman, Jordan Montgomery, and Blake Snell, who is the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the National League. I can't even tell you. March 1st is Friday. And exhibition season is in full swing with a couple of games already in the back pockets of a lot of these teams, or all the teams. So unless these guys are going to sign one-year deals or a one-and-one where, let's say, they sign a two-year deal that's $50 million. Let's say if you're Matt Chapman. But you sign a one where you can opt out after next year. And if you have a crappy year or you're injured, then you're probably going to stick with the deal and go for the other year in hopes of getting the big payday after that. I understand this isn't the NBA where you get that one-on-one option, but what's going to happen? Matt Chapman, and I believe when you look at guys, I don't know if he's a Scott Boris client. I know Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, they are. When does it get to a point where the player says, ah, I just want to sign somewhere, even if it's it's for one year, or let's say if they could do that one in an opt-out for a two-year deal, why not? Listen, I'm far from an MLB or even any agent for that matter. But the players should be the one dictating here. They should be looking at their boss, the agent. And I don't care how powerful Scott Boris is. But you would think the Snells of the world, Montgomery would say, Hey, March is right on the horizon. Yeah, I've been keeping myself in shape and my arm is strong or whatever. But I need to get into a major league camp. Let's go. And either Montgomery wants to go back to Texas to see if they could run it back and defend their World Series title of last year, or Snell, if he wants to go to Seattle, where I believe he's been working out and maybe pitch for the Mariners for a year or two, whatever. Hey, who am I to tell them what to do? And I'm not saying that, but to me, this is where the agent has too much power because it's about getting the most money, and I get it. The players, they deserve whatever it is that they get. Exorbitant, okay, but still, it's just a short shelf life of playing in the major leagues. So get as much as you can. But when does it get to a point where the player needs to overtake what the agents, whatever his objectives, whatever his motives are, and say, get me to this team, I need to sign yesterday. Forget about tomorrow, forget about right now. I need to get into a major league camp so I can get myself ready over the course of the next four weeks for the season. Because think about it. 
Four weeks from this coming Thursday, the season begins. So, just uh, keep that in mind as we move it along here. And then, I'm going to call this the Saga of Senga. I talked about this the other day about Kodai Senga, the Met pitcher who is likely headed to the IL for opening day. And as it is, he just took a shot, a platelet-rich plasma, say that five times, platelet-rich plasma shot, or PRP, to his shoulder, where he is not going to pitch or throw for three weeks. So you know he's going to be on the shelf. And chances are, he's probably not going to start until sometime at the earliest, the beginning of May. So, for the Met pitching staff, which is already thin to begin with, with the Jose Quintanas of the world, the Tyler McGill's of the world, guys that aren't going to be shaking in the opponents or the manager who's putting up the lineup card. It's not as if, oh, geez, we're going to have to go up against this guy today. So, here's what you have here. The Saga of Senga. Let's see if he, after this shot, he starts to throw. Then he's going to have to get some... Simulated starts, tune up there in the minor leagues at the start of April, and then come May, hopefully the first, by the latest, the second week of that month, he could tow the rubber, whether at City Field or on the road somewhere, where we could get our pitcher back, and let's see where the Met season will be after that first month, because we are not going to see Mr. Senga at all. And then, as I pivot to put on my helmet and shoulder pads for the NFL or football overall, and I'm sorry, people, for the... Big time, diehard, just can't get enough of the NFL. I am not going to waste any more than 60 seconds of my breath to talk about the combine. They could have it right outside. I will pull the blinds. Because to me, I don't care who runs a 40. I don't care who bench presses 225, 400 times. I don't care if the vertical is 7 feet, let alone 37 inches. To me, uh uh-uh. Let's just get to the draft, which is still another couple months away. Let's just get to that and... See where the dust settles as far as who's moving up the ranks and whose stock is dropping, etc. Because to me, to invest five seconds into the combine, not this guy. I'm not going to do it. But you had other things go on in the sport. Am I really going to get into the Cam Newton video at a football camp, a seven-on-seven, where he gets into a scuffle with, I don't even know if they're fans or whomever it is? Uh, Please, I'm not going to waste any time on that. I'm just glad nobody's hurt. Let's just start there. As far as some roster changes, I know the Dolphins have cut Xavier Howard, the longtime corner, as well as Emmanuel Ogba. So they have to slice and dice the salary cap, even though the salary cap is now going to go up this year, where it's going to be, what is it, a record $255.4 million, which goes $30 million up. And you could thank the Peacocks, the Amazons of the world, all the streaming platforms, the networks that are paying these teams, the owners, etc., just billions upon billions of dollars. So therefore, the salary cap could go up. And who knows if they're going to bring these back, these players back on friendly deals. Xavier Howard, who has been a very good corner here throughout the course of his, and he was the longest tenured Dolphin. So for him to be out, who knows if he's going to come back on a lesser deal. That we'll have to wait and see. As well as Agua, for that matter. But for... The Dolphins, as they make some roster changes, and for Russell Wilson, who came out with Brandon Marshall in the I Am Athlete pod, where he says that he wants to stay and win in Denver. If he happens to go elsewhere, so be it. But the reason why they traded for him is because he wants to be committed there in the Rocky Mountains. But with the Sean Payton marriage, which 
no pun intended, maybe rocky at best. And who knows if they've been able to smooth things out from the end of the season. Because remember, Russell Wilson did not play those last couple of games of the season, which was a precursor to his exit. So we would think based on what's going to happen here with dead money and the salary cap. Because remember, when they traded for Russell Wilson two years ago and they gave him that extension, that extension starts this year. Think about that. It wasn't as if the extension started once he got to Denver there two years ago. Uh Uh-uh. It starts this year. And I don't know if the Walton group or I know it's another family involved as far as the ownership for the Broncos. I don't know if they're just going to want to part ways thinking that they're going to have a ton of dead money on their cap for this year. Maybe even next year for that matter. Who knows? But whether this gets worked out or not, and even though Russell Wilson's saying the right things, and why not? He made a commitment or the team made a commitment prior to the change of ownership and I'm sure he wants to stay in Denver he already has his roots there home I believe he just had another baby there with Ciara so you would think that he would want to stay with the Broncos here at least for the remainder of his contract as he stated as opposed to picking up and going elsewhere and who knows that rumor mill may have him end up in Pittsburgh for all we know because their quarterback situation is I won't say tenuous but it certainly isn't rock solid so not trying to throw that out there, but hey, stranger things have happened. It is the NFL. We shall wait and see. I know that the season for the NFL, and that means free agency and transactions, it's somewhere in the middle of March. Let me look that up real quick before I say goodbye. So when does the NFL season begin? Not the regular season, the NFL free agent season. So I don't know if he's going to survive that. We will have to wait and see when... That comes about and who knows what the dates are for spending. Now it says that the 2024 NFL offseason, oh it's already here, February 20th. That was last Tuesday. Oh, but the new year begins Wednesday, March 13th. So there you go. So I got behind, not even ahead of myself because as I'm reading this here, it says unrestricted free agents or teams can start placing franchise tags on unrestricted free agents As of last Tuesday the 20th, the franchise tag deadline is March 5th and then the new year beginning of Wednesday, on Wednesday, March 13th, that's when teams have to get under the salary cap and then officially you could sign players to contracts, etc. So March 13th is going to be a big day for Russell Wilson on whether or not he's going to be a Bronco. So keep that date in mind as we move it along. And let me see it. Do I have anything else? I believe that is it, my good people. As I take a look, college basketball, NHL, yep, that will wrap it up as another podcast is in a book. And this is a big week here. Not only do we have a podcast on Thursday, which is a special one and a rare one because it falls right on a leap year, February the 29th. So I'll be more than happy to deliver to you the latest and greatest of what's happening in the world of sports. Then may not be much cooking between now and then, but you know I'll be here. Always coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Of course, check me out on YouTube, which I'm actually recording right now. For the visually inclined, I'll get to that in a minute. But also, Friday, March 1st, there won't be a special podcast, but check my YouTube channel as I'll have a few words and I'll also spew out a few words at the beginning of the podcast come Thursday because the sixth anniversary of the podcast is this Friday. Time is flying, people. I'll never forget when I first bought this equipment on Martin Luther King Day of 2018 and then six weeks after that, I launched my podcast and here I am six years later. And now as a full-time content creator, man, I couldn't have been more happier here in the month of February 
on a leap year to take the leap to do what it is that I love to bring you guys and gals the latest and greatest of what goes on in the world of sports, whether via audio or video. Thank you so much for stopping by as we conclude this podcast. I appreciate your support. Thank you so much for carving out a few precious minutes out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what happens in the wonderful world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review, subscribe to the channel, at J Reels. I just put up a vlog there on Saturday. I'm not going to get a haircut. My hair's going to grow out until I reach 1,000 subscribers. So please, pass the word on to those who like sports, love sports, casual, diehard, it doesn't matter. Pass it along. Have them subscribe. I would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or even a suggestion, you could do so at the following on Instagram, the J Reels Podcast, as well as TikTok, Facebook, the same, Twitter, J Reels one or X, as they call it now, J Reels one just a number, or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say. Since birth, I've been talking sports, and the reason why I made this leap, this pivot, to do this full-time, is because it is time to take this to another level, to, yes, even earn a living, which I'm slowly but surely starting to do so. I know the more content I put out for you guys and gals and the reach for those who aren't familiar with this podcast, this is why you are a critical component of taking this to the next level. So if you could do all the things that I mentioned above or just a second ago, I would sincerely appreciate it because I will continue to deliver the fire, passion, fury, and energy with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis and feelings on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond ice gridiron hardwood golf course racetrack tennis court boxing ring octagon you name it from my lips to your ears from my heart to your soul from where i am to wherever you are the j reels podcast always comes correct directed in full effect from the south bronx to south beach to south center to south pacific and all points beyond peace love and god bless everybody and until next time on the j reels podcast on the flip baby